you've got two choices, haven't you? You can either you can either think this is absolutely dire and I don't want to be here. I'm going back, or I'm gonna. You know, I believe there's something else there. I believe there is gold at the end of this. Yeah, and it's that again is the mindset, isn't it? it yeah. It's, it's the power to keep going. I think sometimes what I say to to my community is they see us as being, you know, you and I, happy in our own skins, living a life, not thinking about alcohol despite speaking about it for 99% of our day. <laughs> and it seems really far away. Like, yeah. how do I get from here on day two to you over there? And, you know, I said it takes a lot of work. It takes yeah. daily practice. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. And we created our tribe because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our Slack groups. I joined Tribe Sober in June 2020 after years of trying to either moderate or ditch the booze for good. I could never get it right, but after joining the tribe with the inspiration and the continuous support, I only wish I'd joined sooner. Being with Tribe Sober made me see that I didn't have a problem, but rather an opportunity to create a life I didn't want to escape from. It took me a whole year and 84 day ones, but I never gave up and the tribe never gave up on me. I'm happy to say I'm close to four months sober and loving my sober life and continue to grow with my tribe. Thank you, Tribe Sober, for saving me from the toxic relationship I had with alcohol. I don't ever see myself going back. So if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. The sobriety space has changed so much in the last decade. Ten years ago, if you had a drinking problem, you went to rehab or AA or maybe both. The trouble was that many people, including myself, did not really gel with the AA approach. We didn't want to label ourselves alcoholics or go to meetings forever. It all seemed a bit depressing. The result of that was that millions of people just carried on drinking and got more and more dependent as the years went by. But these days there's a modern recovery movement with a completely different approach. We now understand that getting sober is about changing our mindset and realising that alcohol is not a magic potion that will solve our problems. In fact, for many of us, it brings nothing but trouble. 
My next guest is called Dawn. Her nickname is Fish. And of course, she got that nickname because she drank like a fish. For Dawn, her journey began back in 2016 when she decided to try an alcohol-free year. She blogged about her journey, decided to stay alcohol-free, and is now a sobriety advocate with a community and a large social media following. I always enjoy talking to people who do similar work to myself, and in fact I had one of my light bulb moments during this conversation, which I'm going to highlight at the end. So first of all, I asked Dawn to introduce herself. Hello, thank you for having me along. Um, my name's Dawn. I'm also known as Soberfish or Soberfishy on Instagram. Um, and I have been sober, it will be five years in November. Um, and lots of people know me because I write a blog. Um, I decided to try sobriety for a year initially Um and the reason I did that was because um, I'd done dry Januaries. I'd done, I hadn't done sober Octobers, but I'd kind of done periods of sobriety um, if I was doing a boot camp or something. And, you know, so I knew I could do a few weeks and I knew I could do a month, but I knew that I needed to do something a lot longer if I wanted to see results. Um, and to be honest, one of the main reasons that I gave up was because I was smoking and the two went hand in hand for me. And I tried other ways to give up smoking and then realized that the, the problem was the alcohol. And every time I drank, I'd have a cigarette. So I thought, right, let's try and do it the other way around. So um, can, I, can we take you back, Dawn, to um, how it all began? You know, when did you start drinking? How old were you? I was probably about 14, um, although I think we were allowed small glasses of wine at home, like on a Sunday with a roast and things like that. But proper drinking was probably about about 14. Um, and, you know, looking back, there was a problem from the start. You know, once I started, I couldn't stop. So nothing really changed in that respect. Yeah, yeah, I think so many of us are like that, aren't we? We we just don't have an off switch. And I've read some studies that, um, and I remember interviewing a doctor on the podcast who agreed that for some of us, and I'm sure you would be coming that category, when we start drinking, you know, as as teenagers, we get we get a bigger high than some people. You know, the dopamine just goes through the roof, and it, it's such a pleasure, and we can't wait to do it again. But not everybody has that. Obviously, you know, for some people, it's it's neither here nor there. So we're yeah. the the people that are more likely to get hooked because we we just want to keep keep on drinking. So I guess you just um, fell into the British binge drinking at weekends culture, did you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was like 1990. So it was like the Ladette kind of era. Um, you know, my parents would drink a bottle of wine and share it at the weekend. Um, whereas I kind of started that it was a bottle of wine on a Friday night with friends before we went out, you know, preloading. And I guess we were preloading because it was expensive to drink out. So the point was you were going to drink at home and then not spend so much money. But we just ended up spending even more money because we'd just go out like all night. Um, and I was always the sick one the next day, never particularly sick in the evening, but the next morning and the next day. And that pattern continued throughout the whole of my adult life. But I could sometimes go... Um, I could go for like six months and not be ill 
And so I think I'd cracked it because I was like, okay, so what did I drink? What what was I doing that was different? And then it would start again and it would be every weekend. Um, and that was another big factor of giving up because I started to anticipate the hangovers incorporated in my nights out. So I'd be thinking, okay, I'm going out Friday night, Saturday's wiped out. There's no point in making any arrangements because mm. I, I won't be fit to go out maybe go out Saturday night. And if I went out Saturday night, then write off Sunday. So I was writing off these large chunks of my life, um, which I think you kind of get to a point and it it dawns on you, doesn't it? And you're just like, this is just a ridiculous pattern to be in because I could be doing yeah. so many different things. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So Dawn, my kind of wake up call um, really came in the form of, of terrible blackouts. You know, I, I th- for years I'd had these blurry little blackouts at the end of the evening and you wake up the next morning and you think, where's my handbag? <laughs> where's my jacket? Those kind of blackouts. That, that was nothing. I could handle that. But then I started losing big chunks of time. Um, and my friends would say, but you looked fine. You know, you weren't slurring your words. You weren't falling over the place. Why can't you remember what we did? Did you ever have any of those? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I was quite amazing, actually, that I never lost anything, touch wood. I never lost a phone. I never lost a coat. I never lost anything. I always managed to get my stuff together. Yeah, but yeah we, go on, <laughs> we go on automatic pilot. Yeah, um, but I do remember one particular time that scared the absolute life out of me, and I went out with someone, a friend, and she got very drunk and fell off a bar stool and went home. And I stayed out, which, like, thinking about that now, staying out on your own, drinking. And I started talking to the bar staff. And then we went to another place. Then we went back to there. And then I ended up sitting with the owner of the bar who was clearing up at the end and making me drinks. Nothing was going on particularly. I was just sat there. I remember I sat there smoking. And then I said, oh, I'm going to go. And as I got to the door and the cold air hit me, I realised I was absolutely hammered. And that that's all I really remember. I can't remember how I got home and obviously went to bed and I presume I was all right. And then um, the next day I found a taxi card in my bag with a with a scrawl on there. I think it was like a number. I don't I don't know. But I could not remember whether I walked up the road or whether I got a taxi. And because I got this card, and I still to this day have no idea how I got from down the road back to here. And that was a massive wake-up call because it's kind of like, well, anything could have happened, to be fair. You know, you you can't think about that too much. You just have to kind of go with the fact, well, I'm alive and, you know, I'm all right. And that just started to become more of a regular occurrence. And, you know, oh, do you remember when that happened? And you kind of go, oh, yeah. Brilliant, wasn't it? Thinking, no, absolutely no idea. And I have always had this thing about, I've always been a walker, particularly in the middle of the night. And I would just be walking around and I look back and I just think, I wouldn't walk around now in the dark, especially, you know, and it's safe around here, but especially that drunk because I just didn't have my wits about me at all. But I was all, my friends always said, we'll get you a cab. No, 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 no every time and I'd just be staggering around the streets so yeah it wasn't good yeah it's scary looking back isn't it we we take such risks 
But I think one of the other problems was not having hobbies. I don't know about you, but I didn't do anything but drinking. So um, that was my hobby. That was my hobby. And I used to list that as a hobby on dating websites. So when you strip that away and go, right, I'm not drinking anymore and there's nothing left, it's a bit of a void. Um, and and that was probably the scariest thing of a year of sobriety going, well, now I've got this vast amount of time. What the hell am I going to do with it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because these normal people, they, they build up their hobbies over their lifetime, but we've spent you know so much time drinking or getting over the drinking or planning the drinking. We've, we've lost, lost out on that planning there. But I don't know about you, but my first year of sobriety, the first few months were were okay because I was thinking, oh, you know, this isn't so bad. Maybe I can do this. And then I had a real slump, you know, and you, you mentioned that word, the void, and I think of it as a void because I just didn't know what to do with myself and I felt really depressed, you know. I felt like I had nothing to look forward to. And that yeah. went on for two or three months. So d- did you have that as well? I must admit, I find it a bit hard to remember right back to the beginning, but occasional blogs come up and and I think, um, uh, for example, I thought by six months I was fairly solid in my sobriety because that's when I decided that I wasn't going to drink again. But I found a blog which was about 11 months and it was quite a turmoil. Is that the right word? It was, mm. it, was a, it, it, it was a blog which was saying, you know, I just wish that I could have a drink. And I was like, oh, I didn't realise it was still there then so it's quite interesting um so for me I was initially going to give up on New Year's Eve but I got the flu in November and so it kind of wiped me out my sobriety date therefore started in November rather than January so by the time I got to January I'd already done six weeks and then other people were doing dry January so that was kind of okay so it was really like February March time that the rocks are in because then you start thinking oh my god a year is a really long time what have I done what am I going to do with this time um but I'd already decided that I was going to write a blog um which was slowly picking up pace at that point so writing was taking up a lot of the the time um that you know the void time and then I started walking and that was my next, um, I don't know, addiction. I mean, I've walked yeah. pretty much every day since. And yeah. once I started walking, um, that would take up a lot of my day because I was walking ridiculous distances. I look back at it and I was like 14 miles on a Saturday. You know, the thought of doing that now. But it did take up a massive amount of mm. time. And I was listening to podcasts and listening yeah. to books. Um, so I filled the void quite easily, but yeah, there was definitely a time that you kind of look at Saturday and go, what do normal people do with yeah. this Saturday? It's quite bizarre. <laughs> but there are things, aren't they? Have yeah. you read, um, what, what's the book called? The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Brilliant Catherine book. Gray. Yeah, I know. Brilliant. And she, she talks about that, doesn't she? And she talks about nature, <laughs> like it's such a novelty and all this green stuff she's looking at suddenly. <laughs> She's never been I out for exactly a walk in that. the country before. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What are we like, us British ladies, though? So, uh, yeah, I heard on another podcast you'd planned to do a year and uh, that year was going to end in November so that you could enjoy Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so um, I had I had two choices. When I got ill, 
I was like, right, okay, so it starts in November, so I finish in November. So actually, I'll just keep going because next Christmas is going to be great. And um, I, I, I had it visualised and everything. I knew exactly what I was going to look like. You know, I was going to be this quaffered, skinny, non-smoking person with a glass of Prosecco, you know, and and I was going to get hammered. That was that was what I was going to do. And my mindset changed so much within the first six months. Um, I was a member of Club Soda, so I got very involved with them and going to meetups, meeting sober people, podcasts, reading all the books, um, literally just saturating myself in sobriety that by the time I got to six months, I couldn't see any reason why I wanted to go back. So yeah, yeah it all yeah. changed. My original, my original blog was called Sober for 2017. And yeah. the nearer I got to the end of the year, I was thinking it's really misleading now because it's not just for 17. Yeah. So I changed it to the Soberfish story. Wow. And it's, as you say, it's all about mindset, isn't it? And once we can see alcohol as, you know, this toxic substance that brings us nothing but trouble, really, yeah. and we, we don't actually want it anymore. But that, that's so interesting where you say you had a dream, you know, of, of being there, with, very glamorous with your, your Prosecco. But, and, then, <laughs> and then I thought you were going to say, and then only having the one glass. No, said, no, no, no. <laughs> I was going to drink it all. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to make knew, up philosophy. Yeah, yeah, that was exactly the plan. And it just seems really bizarre that I thought that now. But that's yeah. how ingrained it was. It was like, I can, do, you know, when, when you look back at it and think, I can do a year, but then I'm just going to go straight back onto it. And I guess I get frustrated when people do do that because I think, oh, you've worked so hard on your beautiful body, which is detoxed from that substance. And, you know, there is a life to be lived. My life isn't complicated now. You know, I, I, I exercise every day. I eat good food. You know, I have a nice time. It's, it's far quieter than it used to be. But yeah. it's so happy without it. Yeah. I, yeah. It, I, I, can't, I can't give any reason why I'd want to bring it back in. Exactly. Yeah. We and your 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 mindset does change because um, well, first of all, I think when you're not drinking every day or every weekend, you you get this kind of clarity of thought, don't you? And and as we were talking about before, I, I hit the record button. We run a 66 day challenge at the moment. And people join that, you know, and they're all moaning and groaning at the beginning and suffering the poor things. And then gradually, you know, a good proportion of them get happier and happier. And we always get, you know, quite a few people at the end that say, I'm done. Why would I go back drinking? And they hadn't signed on for the challenge because they wanted to quit forever. They were just doing, you know, like you and your year, right. they wanted to do a health kick. But towards the end, they started to feel great and they just thought, well, why would I? You know, if you're, you've cleaned your body out, why do you want to start pouring toxins in it again? So, why, why do you uh, pick 66 yeah. days? Oh, well, because <laughs> we're very into neuroscience. And apparently, well, definitely, because I've talked to neuroscientists about this, you can build uh, a neural pathway, a new neural pathway in 66 days, which means that at the end of the challenge, if they do want to just cut down or stop altogether, it'll be much, much easier. So, so that's why we chose 66 days. And also, uh, like you, you know, I've done 
endless dry Januarys and then drunk an entire month's uh, <laughs> liquor at the beginning of February. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but I think if you really want to feel benefits of sobriety, you have to go on longer than a month. A month. I agree. You, know, you, get, you get some quick wins, don't you? Like the skin is a bit better and your eyes improve. Uh, but if you can keep going, not only does it get easier, but you get real benefits. So that's why 66 days, yeah. So going back again, did you, did you used to try and cut down? Did you used to try and moderate? Because what is it? A bottle and a half a week, ha ha. With, with, <laughs> that's the low risk limits put out by UK Drinkaware, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was never that. Um, yeah, I tried everything. I tried red drinks, white drinks, spirits, water in between glasses of whatever. Towards the end, um, I remember, I think it was probably a year before I gave up. It was my sister-in-law's 30th and I was curfewing myself because I thought the problem is that if I go out, I go out for too long. Yeah. So if I stop going out too long, and I remember that distinctly because I remember leaving the party at, at midnight and going home and drinking. So it was just <laughs> a complete waste of time just even leaving. But yeah, um, you know, I'm now I understand it's very difficult to moderate an addictive yeah. substance. And yeah. it I, I think that's one of the saddest things when you hear people trying to moderate. Um, I read somebody yesterday, uh, just a, a random post, and the person said, I've been trying to moderate for a, a week and <laughs> it's not going very well. And I just thought, oh, God, you know, it won't be going very well because Forever, you're trying to moderate something that can't be moderated, in my exactly. humble opinion. Exactly. Um, and it just makes me sad, but people yeah. have to learn for themselves. And I think yeah. somebody, I don't know if it was you, was it you that said that um, it takes uh, most people, uh, is it like the average person takes 11 yes. years? I think it was you that yes, said that. Yes, it was, it was the Tempest that did a survey of 250 people in recovery and the average time was, and I think a lot of people, I was certainly, I was moderating for a decade because yeah. I couldn't bear the thought of not drinking at all. I mean, that was out of the question. I thought, let me control this thing. So I was trying and trying, but it's it's impossible. And also, you know, we people in our orbit are trying to moderate, but in fact, if you can moderate, you moderate. You don't go to Tribe Sober to learn that the low risk limits are a bottle and a half. Do you? <laughs> no. you, you don't. It's not. It's not on your radar, is it? You know. No, my, that's my, right. My husband's a natural moderator, and he never thinks about alcohol. <laughs> well, I think that's the difference, isn't it? It's the people who can moderate are just not fussed by it. No, they're just no. not fussed. If, if they never saw it again, they wouldn't care. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's the like two opposite ends of the of the spectrum, isn't it? And then I yeah. totally agree with you that I, I think part of the problem is is that sobriety is sold or was sold when you and I got sober as being a really boring, dull place to be. Yeah. and that's what I've kind of tried to change. Is yeah, I want to show the joy and the color and the fun that can be yeah. had you know we had a meet up in my hometown yesterday and people didn't stop talking and the laughs I mean we laughed about that somebody took a photo and it was absolutely hysterical and and that laughter is you know one laugh a year like that is worth a million pissed laughs yeah. when you can't remember what you were laughing at you know and exactly I, that's what I want to do is sell the sobriety is a great place to be and you don't have to be scared yeah. about saying goodbye to it because I think we all are at the beginning, aren't we? 
Yeah, we try. We frame it so that one of our members came up with this. She said, because we're on a Zoom meeting and, and a lady was going, oh, well, this problem, you know, I've had it for years. And one, and this other member said to her, she's a, a Brit, and she said, listen, love, she said, you don't have a problem. You have an opportunity here. And I think that's a nice way to Lovely. think of it. Because it's an opportunity to open up your life, to discover what gives you a natural high, to meet lots of different people. It's a fabulous opportunity. And we, we say that it's a superpower as well, because Definitely. I think if you can get sober, you can do pretty much anything. I totally it's not agree an with easy you. Thing to do. <laughs> no. So yes, well, we must work hard and give it a rebrand. I think it is yeah. uh, improving. But, well, there's just more and more people like us doing this sort of work as well, which is great. So uh, I think I think it isn't such a seen as a, a dark place like it used to be because that was that was my worry when I had that depression that I mentioned in early sobriety I thought oh you know if sobriety is this dark gray dreary place I'm not really interested (laughs) and I think you know that's the perception of of a lot of people and they they can't imagine I mean I don't know if you're a fan of Annie Grace but you know the naked mind she talks about your subconscious your conscious mind telling you you've got to cut down and then your subconscious going, but, you know, how will I have fun? How will I, you know, reduce my stress? How will I relax in the evening? So you've got this conflict going on, which is it's very uncomfortable. So, yeah, I think, you know, people get stuck for, for very obvious reasons. But it's, we've well, we've both seen in our communities again and again, people being practically reborn, you know, trying not to sound too <laughs> preachy Woo. about this. But <laughs> we, we see it. It's amazing. We do. And I, I think I think part of that is is once you kind of see the opportunity, you've got two choices, haven't you? You can either you can either think this is absolutely dire and I don't want to be here, I'm going back, or I'm gonna, you know, I believe there's something else there. I believe there is gold at the end of this. Yeah. And it's that again is the mindset, isn't it? it yeah. It's it's the power to keep going. I think sometimes what I say to to my community is they see us as being, you know, you and I happy in our own skins, living a life, not thinking about alcohol despite speaking about it for 99% of our day. <laughs> and it seems really far away. Like, yeah. how do I get from here on day two to you over there? And, you know, I said it takes a lot of work. It takes yeah. daily practice. Every day I'm doing something to do with the blog. I'm sure you're doing this every day or oh, always, investing yeah. in your community. And so yeah. that's that's what you need to you need to just get stuck in, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. It is work. It's hard work, but it's it's so worth it in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people should remember because a lot of people, because of this moderation nonsense uh, you try and then you fail and you try and you fail but I think stopping and starting with the drinking is the most exhausting thing ever because every time you start again it's it's harder and that, those early days are really difficult you know so just do them once and then get them behind <laughs> you and don't keep repeating them no don't go back get, and every time I don't know about other people but every time I failed in my efforts I used to you know, be just full, full of self-loathing. And I think, what's wrong with me? Why haven't I got any willpower? You know, why can that person over there just have one glass of wine the whole evening? What's wrong with me? So you go through all this mental torture and, and when you quit, you know, oh, when you, you're finally free, as I see it, you know, it's, it's just, it's peace, isn't it? 
I don't know if you've been on Clubhouse um, yet, but the, it's quite interesting sobriety rooms in there. And I, I was in one and we were talking about sober fun, you know, and how it's very different to that kind of hysterical laughter and, you know, the, the, <laughs> the British girls and the long girly lunches and all this. It's it's quite different, but it's it's more like a kind of peace, isn't it? Because I was I was either sky high or or in the depths of despair, you know, with my hangover <laughs> and depression. So, but now, you know, I'm I just feel calm and 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 much more happy, really, because it it was a, a chemical joy that I was experiencing before. I think I think I heard William Porter talk about it, and but I think it might be Annie Grace's. I'm not sure about the the line. Uh, yeah. I call it the contentment line. You've yeah. got the line like this, and then you when you drink, you go up. And then when you when the alcohol wears off, you go down. So yeah. you're spending so much of your time going up and down, but you're never settling on the line. Yeah. Whereas I sit on the line all of the time. And if yeah. something takes me below my line, I've done enough work to know how to pick myself back yes. up. Yeah. And I think that's part of the um the work and the learning is to how to soothe yourself without alcohol yeah. in order to stay on your line more often and I think in the in the beginning of sobriety you're still zigzagging around because you're emotionally all over the place but as time goes on and I bet by the time you get to your end of your 66 days you've got more people who are perched on the line and and having quite a nice time but that's how long it takes you know I get very annoyed at some um, newspapers who when they do dry January and they say oh you're going to be your skin's going to be amazing your eyes are going to be clear you're going to lose a stone and I just I'm very honest and blunt and just say that's not going to happen you're going to eat yeah. shit loads of sugar you're not going to lose a stone yeah. they're quite impatient aren't they you know I, I get yeah. messages saying I've been sober for three weeks and I still feel shit. And I'm going, well, you know, try it for three months and then see how you feel. People have to keep going and do the work. And I think, you know, when we get to our stage of seniority, <laughs> we we can can live with being a bit uncomfortable. I mean, it, when I was a drinker, whenever I felt depressed, I, I used to think, oh, I better open some bubbly, perk myself up. But now if I feel depressed, which of course I do, you know, it doesn't mean if you're sober, it doesn't mean your life's, you know, full of bunnies. I, you know, I just say to myself, okay, I'm feeling a bit down today, but tomorrow or the, certainly by the day after I'll be fine again so I yeah. think you can we call it get comfortable with being uncomfortable you know it's not mm. going to kill you and it is part of the human condition isn't it to go up and to go down but yeah. we we can certainly live on a more even even keel it's all about Definitely. chemistry isn't it yeah yeah you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. We, we've been alcohol-free about the same length of time, I think, haven't we? I'll be five uh, years in November. Five years and I'm six years. So, so yeah, about the same. So, and, and like me, you know, you've kind of evolved into a sobriety advocate. You know, sometimes uh, I, I've got drinking buddies that I, I, I don't see anymore, you know, but sometimes they'll they'll see me on, on Facebook, you know, doing a TV interview or something about sobriety. And they'll go, <laughs> they just called you a sobriety advocate. And, you know, they're laughing their heads off because they remember me as this, <laughs> this mad person. But... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, we've both done it. We've evolved, haven't we, into sobriety advocates. So talk to me about Sober Fish. And, so that's your blog, isn't it? And yeah, talk to me so, about how that developed. So I thought that sobriety was going to be so shockingly awful that I needed to write about it. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. But I was just like, when I look back at it, it was that kind of putting things down on paper. So if I was feeling really bad, I could get it out of me and put it somewhere else. But Mm. I didn't realise that that was my plan at the time. As time went on and things weren't as bad as I thought, and my writing kind of got better and, and, and then it kind of started to spread a bit further and people really liked what I had to say. It was kind of like, oh, right, this is really interesting because actually, I mean, I think the term is grey area drinking, um, which wasn't really a thing when I got sober. I don't know about you. It kind of evolved after that. But I got a lot of messages from people who were kind of saying, I thought there was either alcoholic or normal, nothing in between. And what you're describing is me. And I was thinking, oh, well, this is interesting because I wasn't embarrassed about putting my stuff out there because I don't really know why, but um, I just, I just, (laughs) I don't really know why, but I just knew that I had to do, I don't know where it came from. I just knew I had to do something with it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, turned into a quite a big job. (laughs) Yes, I know what you mean. (laughs) You know, like we were saying, like I do, I I make greetings cards as well. And I've forgotten about the clothing that you mentioned. So there's all these kind of little things going on at the same time as trying to maintain my contentment line, you know, just make sure that I'm not, because there was, there was, when I, when I decided that something needed to change with my job, I was giving out far more than I was putting in. And it's difficult because you need to be there all of the time. But I was getting up at 4.30 um, a.m. to fit everything in so I could do all of my stuff before I then went into the day's work. And I look back at it like, I don't know what I was doing. Yeah, but life's a bit more to... relaxed now, so it's good. Yeah, yeah. you have to keep a balance. No, we, we were talking before, weren't we, about your greetings cards. I, I just love them because, you know, oh, the number you. of times that I've been – in a greetings card shop, you know, being a sober person and thinking, this is ridiculous, you because know, you don't really notice when you're a drinker, but when you're not, <laughs> you, you just become hyper alert, don't you, too? Yeah. It's like every TV program, oh, look at them, they're drinking again, you know, and every ad and all the greetings cards. So so well done you. I think that's, that's oh, so creative. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. So we met on William Porter's group. I mean, he's got such an amazing group. Well, I mean, maybe you've built it up. I don't know if we should be giving him all the credit. But Yeah, uh, he, he is, it's all his. It's his baby. <laughs> wow. I mean, there's like 14,000 people on there, and it's it's just super engaged, isn't it? And such good conversations, yeah. So, it's again, it's like we talked about before. It's the, it's the tears of of what you want in there's so much stuff out there you know yeah, somebody might yeah. like your group and hate my group or like my group and hate alcohol alcohol explain you just I, I like William Porter calls it a buffet take what you yeah. like and leave what you don't and I just think exactly. that's brilliant yeah and I, I I am amazed actually by these groups it's kind of restored my faith in human nature <laughs> But I mean, our WhatsApp group, we, we've had it for, for years, five years, and, and there's always lots of people on there and lots of chats. And I think, you know, we've had maybe 
two little spats on there. But really, you know, people are so wow. warm and so supportive. Yeah. And, you know, people fall off and the next day if they come on full of remorse, there's such warmth, you know, and, and yeah. love on there. And they're just random strangers that you've kind of thrown together. So it's 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 quite amazing. And you sense that on, on your group as well, or on William's group. So, yeah, it's all, it's all rather fascinating. Yeah, my husband said to me the other day, he said, don't you get bored about talking about sobriety? <laughs> Aren't you running out of things to say? And I said, well, not really, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's quite mad, isn't it? Because if it was yeah. anything else, I would be bored by now. But I just yeah. think, I, I agree with you. I think it's a great community. And, uh, you know, people are really, really genuine and really, really kind. And, um you know, you wouldn't, like you said earlier, we wouldn't know all of these people. We wouldn't be talking now if no. sobriety wasn't our subject. So it's, it's. I think it's a good subject. It's healthy. You know, it's not like a wine club, is it? No. <laughs> you know? so, not at all. So it's, yeah, I just think, um, yeah, I think it's a really nice place to be. And no, yeah. I'm not bored yet. Uh, and I, I like the kind of vulnerability of it because I think all the bullshit is gone really, isn't it? Because we get people, and I'm sure you do as well, they're just desperate, you know, they're, they're suicidal almost, you know, and and they'll tell you that. And, and when we used to do physical workshops, I remember we'd have people sitting in the circle, obviously, and they'd do their share and, you know, they'd be crying and other people would be, you know, hugging them and we're so vulnerable when we embark on this journey, which to me, it's just like the opposite of some kind of snobby cocktail party you might find yourself at when everybody's dressed up to the nines and pretending their life's perfect. And actually, it's not. I just think there's a lot of genuine yeah. communication going on, which which is beautiful. And connection is the opposite of addiction, of course. As uh, What's his name? Johan Hari has taught us all. So the, the blogging was quite interesting, the fact that it, it obviously was hugely helpful for you as well as other people, because um, we always recommend that people keep a journal throughout the, their sobriety. Do you, do you suggest that too to people? Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. without realising it, I was doing the work. I didn't know yeah. what the work was. And the, the when I realised that I was doing the work, because I listened to Russell Brand and the 12 Steps of AA, I, I knew nothing about AA. I've never been to an AA meeting. And I listened to his version. And as he was going through, I was thinking, oh, I do that. Oh, I've done that. Oh. And, you know, that's why the AA steps are what they are, is because we we naturally do them yeah. to become long-term sober, you know, making peace and, you know, not getting into a relationship and, you know, all of those things. And I, and one of the things was that I realized that by putting everything out of me and putting it into my phone um, and putting it out to the world was, was releasing me of the stress of these things. And it makes you think as well, because, when I look back, I was in a terrible state. You know, I was letting people treat me badly. I was treating myself badly. I was four and a half stone overweight when I started. I was eating crap. I didn't care about myself. I didn't exercise. You know, when I went out, it was it was a mission to get pissed. It wasn't to go out and drink a nice glass of wine. It was to get absolutely annihilated. 
And now I just look back at that and just think, you know, that's really low self-esteem and a real severe lack of self-love. Because if you care about yourself, you wouldn't want to do that to yourself. You wouldn't do it to someone else. I absolutely recommend writing, journaling. I say you have to find the way to do it. So I do it on my phone all the time. My oh, dad on the said, phone. Okay. Yeah, I, because I, I, I started writing a book. I haven't got very far because the 2020 took up a lot of time. I started writing a book and I started doing it on a computer, and I just couldn't do it. And I went back to the phone. He went. My dad went. You're going to write a book with one finger on your phone, and I said, but that's where I'm comfortable you know that's just where I've learned how to do it so you know some people will say I don't want to pick up a pen or I don't want a journal book I want something out I just say just use the notes section you know or just write whatever works or yeah Yeah. you've just got to find your groove yeah and once you've found your groove just get it out because there's a lot of stuff in there being pushed down and it needs to come to the surface yeah. And um, when pe- I mean, I love writing like you do, but some people don't and they don't know where to start. So I recommend uh, The Artist's Way. Have you heard of that book? Yeah. By Julia Cameron. And she says, get up in the morning and write your morning pages, you know, and write whatever's in your head. Do a brain dump. Remember, no one else is looking at this. You can throw it in the bin afterwards. But that really works, you know, that unlocks yeah. people's creativity and then they, they can write after that. I saw the before and after pics of you on social media. Good grief. They're, they're just amazing. <laughs> yeah, so apart from, apart from that, apart from the obvious, um, talk to us about the benefits of alcohol-free living. Oh, my God. Just For you. everything. Just everything. I mean, I've always been a good sleeper. Um, I wasn't particularly affected by drinking and sleeping. Probably I did wake up and do the three o'clock thing. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I was a bad sleeper, and now I am an amazing sleeper. I, but there is a, the quality of sleep is just unreal. And what I love about it is that even if you don't get that much of it, you can still be so productive the next day. Um, productivity. I mean, I say to my boss, you know, you're really lucky. You get a hundred percent attendance. You know, I'm always on the ball. I'm never sat there, especially working from home. I don't think I would have taken the mick out of him, but I think I would have been hung over and he wouldn't be able to see that and things like that. So, yeah, and I love that productivity and the, you know, churning stuff out and then thinking, yeah, I did a really good job. My diet goes up and down. Um, I know in the first lockdown, I, I took that as carte blanche to eat what I liked and I put on a lot of weight again, um, but I've got it more under control. I rarely have takeaways, which I had a lot of takeaways in the, you know, when I was drinking. I always had a bare fridge. I always have a full fridge now, things like that. Um, I do my walking, say so that's my non-negotiable, has to be done every day. It's up to me when I do it. And so I generally do it first thing to get it done, which obviously helps control my weight. Um, and and now I end up working and doing something that I really enjoy. I mean, I had no idea that this was going to be what it is today and that I'd really enjoy it so much, you know. And I think it's really important that I don't wake up every day and think, oh, God, here we go again. You know, I wake up, right, okay, what are we doing today? How are we yeah. How are we doing this? And um, I've been really lucky working from home and obviously with Zooms and things like that. So I think I'm a bit like you. We've got people all around the world. So you're meeting really interesting people, interesting conversations. 
just before the pandemic, I went on two sober solo holidays. I went to Thailand was the first one. I did Vietnam was the second one, which I'm absolutely gutted the pandemic came because I just got the bug for buggering off on my own. And oh, I just had the best time. And it was something that I was always waiting for someone to come along and do. And when I got to Thailand, I it was such a massive revelation that I'd been there all along. And that I once I'd stopped drowning myself, actually, I could do anything I wanted to do. And, and from that attitude, I have done everything that I've wanted to do, despite the limitations of the, the last 18 months. God, you know, why would I go back? I've just learned so much and achieved so much and gained so much from an alcohol-free life that, yeah, there's no reason for me to go back. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Wonderful. Talk to me about the solo sober holidays. Is it an agency setting these no, up? No, just or? me. <laughs> Oh, you just, just decide that you'll you'll go on a holiday and you won't drink. Yeah, yet. I'd always I'd always wanted to go to Thailand, um, and I knew nothing about Thailand, and I did no um, research. My parents have been a couple of times. So my mum was like, "Oh, you want to do this? You want to do this?" And I was just literally like, "No, I I just want to go and see what happens." And I went to Bangkok, and I got to Bangkok, and on the first day, I thought, "Oh shit, what have I done? This is a really long way away. It's all in this language, obviously Thai." I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what to do. And um, I went to the breakfast table in the hotel and I I, I was frightened. I, I was just like, I can't believe I've done this. And it's a bit late now because I'm here. And um, I just looked, I, I Googled uh, sites to see in Bangkok. And the first thing that came up was the, I think it's called the Grand Temple of Dawn. Right. Okay. That's where I'm going. <laughs> and so I was into my walking and, you know, they were like, oh, do this, do this. And I was like, no, I'm going to walk. And that was the great thing as well, because when people say they go on holiday, my holidays were always like, has it got a waiter? Has it got gin? Has it got a sunbed? Has it got a pool? You know, I never looked outside that tiny area. Whereas I got on the tube in Bangkok. I didn't even know there was a tube in Bangkok. And I made, I walked to this this temple. As I came out of the tube, there was it was such a weird moment. I came up the stairs and there was a man there and there was just me and this man. He went tuk tuk and I went, yeah, all right then. And it was that moment that I suddenly realized I could do anything because yeah. some somewhere the confidence came. I can always find my way back. Even if it takes days, I can find my way back. And it was really, really, that was my moment of freedom. And I can't wait to travel again because I just, yeah, absolutely loved it. And I was booked to go to Sri Lanka in 2020 and that got cancelled. I was due to go the 20th of April. So obviously that got cancelled. And um, yeah, I'm just waiting till I can go and pick up my yeah. solo yeah. trips again. That's a, that's a beautiful story, Dawn, because a lot of people say to me and when I think back, yeah, I was the same. They say things like, 
how am I going to manage on holiday? <laughs> or they say, I've got a holiday coming up, so I'd better do the sobriety <laughs> thing when I come back from holiday. Because like you, you know, my holiday was all about the drinking and, you know, where's the best bars and the best clubs and whatever. And I'd come back from my holidays absolutely exhausted. Oh, needing a holiday. But now I come back feeling great, you know, and I, I go off to hydros and things and, and, you know, do the whole wellness thing now for my holidays sometimes. Talk to us about your, you know, how people can reach you. Um, so on Facebook, I'm the Sober Fish Story. Instagram, Sober Fishy. I think it's Sober Fishy on Twitter as well. And my membership group is the Fish Followers Society. I always have to be careful saying that. Um, but yeah, or send me a <laughs> message and we can go from there. Awesome. And they can find you on William's group as well. They can find me in Alcohol Explained and my website, which is www.soberfish.com. So there you heard me talking to Sober Fishy Dawn. There was so much great advice in that conversation. And I'm going to pull out a few points that really resonated with me. And of course, the light bulb moment that I mentioned earlier. So Dawn's original plan was just to do a sober year. She'd done lots of short stretches in the past, but wanted to see what kind of results she would get from a longer period of sobriety. Well, obviously, the results were overwhelmingly positive, which is why she is still sober five years later. So if you've done lots of dry Januaries and sober Octobers and then gone back to drinking with great enthusiasm, then you're actually missing out. Because you've done the hardest bit, those first few weeks are really tough. So now you just need to keep going for a bit longer. For example, after 66 days, you will have built a new neural pathway, so it will get easier and you will experience more benefits. A win-win situation which may well result in you choosing sobriety as a permanent lifestyle choice. After all, there's nothing so exhausting and demoralizing as spending your life jumping on and off the wagon. Dawn shared her drinking story. She started at 14 years old when she discovered that she didn't really have an off switch. We both agreed that there was a time when we would anticipate the week ahead and not arrange any activities for the day after drinking as we both knew we'd be feeling miserable and hungover. Inevitably, Dawn set herself some rules to try and limit the drinking. She actually came up with one that I hadn't tried. She set herself a curfew a set time when she had to leave her event and come home. And she managed this a few times, but then have found herself drinking when she got home. Maybe just to celebrate that she kept to her rule. We both suffered from blackouts and agreed that we'd put ourselves at risk in this way. We also found ourselves at a bit of a loss when we first got sober. Unlike normal people, we'd not built up hobbies or interests over the years because all our leisure time had been taken up by drinking. As Dawn put it, we found ourselves wondering, what do normal people do with their time? Well, Dawn got started on her sobriety journey by blogging and walking. As she put it, she saturated herself in sobriety to change her mindset. Like many of us, she needed to change her thinking about drinking. Unlike willpower, a different mindset will enable us to sustain our sobriety. 
We agreed that when we got sober six years ago, sobriety had a definite image problem. It was seen as a dark and miserable place. But things are changing fast. And just a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Susan Christina, editor of the amazing Hola Sober monthly magazine. This magazine is not only free, but it's busy making sobriety just as cool and glamorous as we all thought drinking was. So please get hold of a copy. I'll put the link in the show notes. Dawn introduced me to an interesting concept which she calls her contentment line. Now, when we drink, we're either on a chemical high or on that hungover low. We rarely sit on the line, which is actually where we live when we are sober. The contentment line is nothing to fear. It's actually a peaceful and happy place to be. These days, when Dawn feels a bit low, she acknowledges that she is below her contentment line and she knows how to self-soothe without alcohol. In early sobriety, we zigzag all over that line, the highs of the pink cloud and the lows of FOMO. But hang in there because the contentment line will be yours after you've done the work and notched up a period of sobriety. So talking of doing the work, that's where I got my light bulb moment. It hadn't really occurred to me until Dawn said it, but the work is different for each of us. AA talk about doing the work, and of course they mean working systematically through every one of their 12 steps. But I prefer William Porter's approach that we should see sobriety as a kind of buffet and choose what works for us. For Dawn and myself, the work has involved sharing our stories, writing about sobriety and leading a sober community. Neither of us anticipated this or knew in advance that this was our work. We just did what felt right and gave us joy. So let's think about sobriety as a journey of self-discovery. Many of us missed out on creating hobbies and interests because we were too busy drinking. But now we have time and sometimes a bit of extra money to explore, to discover what we really like doing. And that's why the Tribe Sober Membership Program offers yoga, nutritional advice, coaching and many different types of therapy. We want you to just experiment and get to know yourself. To find out more about Dawn, just go to her blog, Soberfish Co UK, and she is Soberfishy on Instagram. She is also a moderator on William Porter's brilliant Facebook group, which is called Alcohol Explained. Now it's time to open my phone and go to the first member Slack message that inspires me. I found one from member Irene, who's been sober for a while now. Here she is encouraging someone who is new and is struggling to get through that first month. Irene says, That first month is awful. It's also when we have to face the fact that things are worse than we thought. You've really got to push through this. You'll have shitty days, but the longer you keep going, the less frequent they'll be. Dig deep. There is treasure there. Just keep going. I promise you, 30 days alcohol-free and you'll begin to feel so different. Well, thanks, Irene. That's a lovely message. And yes, we have to keep pushing through in those early days. Keep your head down. Don't expect much. And as Irene says, the treasure will appear. 
So if you'd like to join our community and get inspired by our lovely sober members like Irene, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. You can also DM me personally on Tribe Sober Instagram or hit the big yellow telephone on tribesober.com homepage to book a discovery call to find out more about our memberships and our workshops. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast and we'd be so grateful if you will leave us a review and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.